1970, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, was super stoked that America had reached the moon first, and they were intent on sending even more men that way. In April of that year, they launched a rocket carrying a crew that they hoped would perform a precision touchdown in a previously unexplored area of the moon where they could collect and analyze some super cool rocks, guys. If that sounds boring to you, well, most of America agreed. But disaster struck, and the crew never landed on the moon. What followed was several days of high anxiety, as the entire world watched and wondered if the men could make it home. Did they survive, or are they still hopelessly lost in the void of space? You're going to find out, buddy, because you're going to grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Apollo 13. This is ground control to Major Tom Hanks. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts... Chris and Greg. Oh, well, uh, first, hello, listener. Uh, thank you for for joining us. I have just noticed over the Zoom, Christopher, you are, or should I call you Spaceman, you are wearing a skin-tight latex spacesuit, mm-hmm. which would be completely impractical and ineffective, and is obviously bought from a... Costume store. Yeah, it's a child's medium, actually. Okay, well, now that that's been acknowledged, I'm extremely <laughs> uncomfortable by it, but uh, pressing on. How are you, bud? Is it the suit, or is it the fact that I have very large nipples that are protruding through the skin of the suit? Is that what's... Because I feel like that's where your eyes keep going. It's hard not to notice. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes your eyes are just drawn to... Like, when somebody has a booger, you can't help but... When you're talking to them, you just keep looking at the bug, mm. and then they they pick up on that, and they take care of the bug. Yeah. You have not taken care of the nipples. Uh, well, you were about to ask me how I'm doing, and as you can tell, I am very excited. And I don't know if that's mm. going to stop before we finish this episode, because, whew, because whew, dry whistle noise. <laughs> <laughs> because, man, what a story we have for you guys this week. It is the tale of Apollo 13. You may have seen the movie starring Tom Hanks, hence Greg's joke in the intro. Well, you know, it was it was a fantastic movie, and it's hard not to to think about when you're doing the story. And I love that movie. Yeah. There are there are some some licenses taken with what happened in the movie versus reality. But that's always going to be the case with movies. The good thing is for our presentation of this story, we are leaning on a source. You want to tell them about that source, Chris? Yes, it is Apollo 13, the movie, starring Tom... No. <laughs> no, our source is Apollo 13 by Jim Lovell and Jeffrey Kluger. And Jim Lovell's a guy you're going to meet here in the story because he was one of the astronauts on the ship. And obviously not biased. You know, he's going to tell you the whole truth. You know, all the, the sex scandals. not going to make him look really good and everybody cocaine. else maybe. Yeah. 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 Not at all. He definitely mentions how they were just tripping balls on shrooms the whole time. <laughs> <He> just... 
Yeah, it's a very good book. It's one of those books that makes me feel like an idiot, kind of like the book we did on the Challenger disaster, because they start using all these scientific terms and abbreviations and acronyms, and I like have to like, pause reading to look it up. Like, oxygen. Okay, that's obviously <laughs> cable network for women. Don't know why that was so important on this journey. But no, it was a very good book, and I highly recommend it. I actually have a personal anecdote about Apollo 13, if you will allow me to air a grievance. I will. Okay. In high school, and this is a true story, in high school we had these weekly trivia games in one of our history classes. And basically the teacher just pulled trivial pursuit cards, and you'd be in teams, and if you won for the period, the six weeks period, whatever it was, you got, like, bonus points on your grade. So it was, like, real competitive. And one of the questions I remember to this day, because it haunts me 40 years later, was the teacher asked, what space flight suffered a catastrophic failure, had to abort a moon landing and return to Earth? Something along those lines. And, man, I smacked that bell, and I said, Apollo 13. And she said, no. And everybody else was very confused. This is shortly after the movie came out. And so there are other people that rang in and said the exact same thing, thinking I'd said something different. And she said, well, Apollo 13 never happened. They skipped 13 because it's an unlucky number. Well, and then she, where where was she reading this question from? It wasn't Trivial Pursuit. I don't know. I don't know why she did this. I think it was out of spite. I think it was a personal attack on me. And when this lady, whose name was Miss Beaver dies, I'm going to piss on her grave. What was the answer? Apollo 13. What was her version of the answer? She didn't give us one. What a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to listen to this podcast. And you know what? It's coming, lady. You just just get ready. Pee all over that grave. And I don't drink very much water. So it's It's fucking coming. It's going to (laughs) be super yellow. Borderline orange. You're going to be like, man, this guy's got kidney problems. (laughs) But you're not going to be able to think about it too much because you'll be fucking dead, bitch. Yes. Love that energy. God. Oh, I'm ready to go now, man. I'm I'm pumped. I'm ready to shove it right in Miss Beaver's face. Well, before we begin, I would like to bring up another one of your anecdotes. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to explain that one. Okay. Wolf Dick? This is a country for white men. Oh my god, no. No. Oh no, that fundraiser footage finally escaped. Shit. (laughs) No, that was a quote from Andrew Johnson, you jerk. (laughs) Taken out of context. Is that what it's from? Yeah, I I knew I should have thrown my voice when I said that. I knew that could have killed It got saved so long ago. (laughs) I don't remember what it was from. (laughs) Well, you ready to uh, tell the people about this story? I guess, yeah. Now that I've been canceled, nobody's going to listen, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy famously put a deadline on an American moon landing by saying, quote, begin perfect JFK impersonation voice, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win in perfect impersonation. Mm, there's some liberties there. <laughs> then he followed up with, and boy, I for one just can't wait to see it happen, end quote. And he will. <laughs> Unless you go back and listen to our back catalog, in which you find out he will not. <laughs> and there's no way you would know that without listening to our show. That's true. That is true. And no way of knowing exactly what happened. You'd probably just, like, speculate and come up with some stupid ideas that are based on nothing. Or are they? Well, NASA said, you say jump, we say how high? And he said, fuck you, I just said, jump to the moon, you idiots. And so they got to work. They had already been working on Project Mercury, which was designed just to get a human off of Earth. First, they sent two chimpanzees, Ham and Enos, into space on separate flights. Then, once they realized spaceflight is so easy that a monkey could do it, Americans Alan Shepard and John Glenn were sent on individual flights to orbit the Earth. By May of 1963, Project Mercury and the similar projects from the dreaded Soviets had each sent six humans into space. And JFK must have thought the future was so bright, he had to wear shades. Maybe a sunshade over his Cadillac. I was, gonna, I was trying to make the joke. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah. But, you know, this is 1963. He's still got a little ways to go. Yeah. Got an election campaign. Probably going to... He's got a rage in 1964 New Year's party. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Christmas 1963, he's got some great gifts picked out for JFK Jr. Oh, sitting around the old tree, dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little, little coat that kind of looks like a dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something he can wear to like Maybe formal a little locations. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So much to be thankful for. So much. At that period. Yeah. Well, while Mercury was sending apes and their distant cousins into space, NASA was simultaneously working on the next big thing, Project Gemini. Now, we know everyone, including us, is a strict believer in astrology, so we all know that Gemini is Latin for twins. Obviously, NASA chose this name for the project because they only planned on sending genetically engineered sets of twins into space but since Dr. Joseph Mengele refused to leave South America to help them, they decided it would just be a two-man crew. Jesus Christ. But he could have made them conjoined twins. He liked yeah. sewing, sewing people together. Yeah. So it could have been a one-man, two-man crew. <laughs> it's also, you know, it's a little slight underhand jab. A little pa-pow at NASA for hiring all the Nazis after the yep. war. Operation Paperclip. Oh, it looks like you're working on a space flight program. Would you like some help from some more criminals? Yes, Clippy. <laughs> Clippy. It's a Microsoft Office joke. Nailed it. <laughs> it is. That's a good one. That's a good one. The little bastard smiles. A bit deceiving. Yeah. <laughs> looks like you're trying to exterminate a whole race of people. Here's some templates. Here's the railroad infrastructure you should construct. <laughs> little bastard. Piece of shit. He's, I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad Mossad finally tracked his ass down, took him out. 
Well, I thought Clippy was the one that wandered off into the ocean off the coast of Brazil and had a stroke and then drowned because he couldn't move. No, I think that was Mangler, was it? Oh, that was Mangler. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what happened to Clippy, but it was something like that. I feel like he he lived deep into his paperclip years and didn't serve the justice we all wish he would have. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of Argentinian kids walking around with blue eyes and thin metal skin. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was a good one, my boy. Thank you. <laughs> Gemini's whole purpose was to prove that men could survive the eight-day trip to the moon and back, and to develop methods of traveling and working outside of their spacecraft. It was a pretty big success, and it put the U.S. ahead of the Soviets in the race to put a human on the moon, although Gemini 8 almost killed future American hero Neil Armstrong when the craft spiraled out of control before Armstrong was able to right the ship and perform an emergency landing. By the time Mercury and Gemini had run their course, John and F. Kennedy was dead. Oh, this must have been at least like 1966 or something, right? Somewhere in there. I don't remember the exact dates, but I think he had yeah. accomplished all his goals. You know? Yeah. He lived a long, fruitful life. He was into his second term of office. and Yeah. That's what I choose to believe. Kept us out of Vietnam. Gone on a lot of tours of cities and nothing dramatic ever happened while he was there. You know, just a life well lived. Kept cheating on his wife constantly and habitually. <laughs> well, you know. That was one thing that did not change. <laughs> well, he was dead, and he was watching from hell, you know, what with all that philandering <laughs> Greg just mentioned. Adulterer. Coveted thy neighbor's fucking wife, dude. All the time. It's the same thing. Covering a wife, killing somebody, not listening to your parents, straight to fucking hell. Sorry. Sin's a sin. That's right. And he was wondering just why the fuck there wasn't an American on the moon yet. Enter the Apollo program, which was named after the bad guy from Rocky 1 and 2, but the good guy from Rocky 3 and 4. It's an Apollo Creed joke, Greg. It is. Thank you. <laughs> I like the blank acknowledgement I just got there. There's just a flat, yes, that is what It happened. was so on the nose and predictable. <laughs> oh, they're talking about Apollo, but there's a Apollo Creed joke in there. Damn it. No, it was still good, but yeah, you're just not going to elicit a reaction from moi. Yeah. Saw that shit coming a mile away. <laughs> Knew it. <laughs> well, the sole purpose of the Apollo program was to have a red-blooded, commie-hating man plant the U.S. flag and bring freedom. To the moon. But uh, things didn't get off to a great start. You know, a little, little bit of trouble. Just a little spotty, minor issues. Just a little, little, you know? You can't expect things just take off immediately. There's going to be some hiccups. You know, just some minor setbacks. You want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. Everybody knows that. That's true, yeah. Except Humpty Dumpty, he is very much in denial about where those omelets come from. <laughs> it's like feeding a pig bacon. They eat that shit up. Mm. You know, that's Humpty Dumpty on Saturday mornings. They know. They just don't care. They're sending a message to the, their wife. You see what happens when you cheat on me, bitch? See what happens? <laughs> oh, you wanted a big juicy hog, did you? Well, I'm fucking eating one right now. <laughs> oh, that's not what you meant? Oh. Guess you should have told me that before Stephen got murdered. 
<laughs> well, it turns out the Apollo spacecraft was kind of a piece of shit. Before they even dreamt of launching one, there had been over 20,000 different mechanical failures that would have greatly risked any astronauts that were inside. By 1967, NASA felt like the rocket was finally ready to send men into space. They were horribly, horribly wrong. On January 21st of that year, the crew of Apollo 1 climbed inside their command module to simulate the launch conditions they would endure when they launched for realsies in February. And that was a scientific term for realsies. It's a NASA term. That's where that comes from. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, there, there might be a few listeners out there who hadn't heard You're that before. You're just going to talk about the meniscus of a liquid in glass and then be like, oh, that's a scientific term, by the way. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that. For realsies? Duh. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Be a better I, I, podcaster. I know. I'm struggling. I'm sorry. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? This is a country for white men. <laughs> Whoa, not what I do. No. No. <laughs> That's what you have to say? Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, man. I All hope right. our listeners are just... They just picked up Grandma from the airport, listening to the show. We, She's we a big space enthusiast. Yeah. Talking hey, about NASA. Yeah, these guys are talking about Apollo 13. Want to give it a listen? Miss Lovell? The, <laughs> the great Jim Lovell's daughter? Well, sure. And then she's like, you know what? He's on to something. And then he realizes the truth about his grandma. Oh, no. No. You're not a nice granny like I thought. <laughs> well, again, for grandma that was taken out of context, Greg is trying to sabotage me. Trying to take over this sweet, sweet podcast for himself. I would immediately delete it. <laughs> Just immediately. Well, anyway, after sitting on the launch pad for five hours and enduring numerous equipment issues, the crew of Apollo 1 and the men in the control room were finally ready to go through with the simulation. But at 6.30 p.m., rookie astronaut Roger Chaffee shouted through his radio, Fire in the spacecraft! The other astronauts began to scream about the fire and beg for the ground crews to get them out of there, but there was nothing they could do. The atmosphere inside the capsule consisted of pure oxygen, and a small electrical spark had started a raging fire. The three astronauts, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee, suffocated on the fumes within 15 seconds. Even if the rescue crews had been able to get through the flames and the toxic smoke immediately, it would have taken them 90 seconds to open the three-layered hatch door to get inside. Where's your jokes, Greg? Where's your mocking of these American heroes? Well, there were three astronauts and a three-layered hatch door and a lot of very, very hot fire. Sounds like a good six-layer dip, you know what I mean? <laughs> All just kind of melted together. <laughs> you add a little fucking cheese on top, seven-layer dip, boom. Count Damn. it. Didn't think he could do it, and he got there. I am a disgusting individual. <laughs> you know that. You're I'm my friend. To, sorry to doubt you. Even Clippy was like, that motherfucker just went there with that joke? Really? The men were mourned, and although it never launched, the mission would forever be given the name of Apollo 1. But NASA got right back to work because, God damn it, some dude had been captain of the dome back in 1963 had ordered them to get to the moon before the end of the decade. Who's that? 
This is JFK. John F. Kennedy. <gasps> he didn't make it Thanksgiving, Christmas, or that 1964 <laughs> New Year's party? What the fuck, Dad? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't want to ruin that for you after you saw the presents he'd bought JFK Jr. for Christmas. So, that, you know, gonna let you down easy, but... Nice little light bright. Yeah. <laughs> Paddle ball. Other toys of the 1960s. Scale model of a Ford convertible. True, yeah. They just push it around the carpet. A little Barbie doll with a pink coat on. They could ride in the back seat. A little authentic brain matter on the, the rear bumper. Oh, God. Yeah. Worst Christmas ever. Just... <laughs> it's quite a coincidence he had bought that toy. Yeah, it was a, you know... It's just unfortunate that that happened. Very strange coincidence. For some reason, it reminded JFK Jr. of something traumatic that happened in his past, but, uh, you know, just weird, weird coincidence. He started drinking after that Christmas. <laughs> Little three-year-old JFK Jr. Well, it's a sad tale, dude. He said, "I'm one day I'm going to get in my plane and I'm going to fly to heaven and find my daddy. And that's exactly what he did. Oh. <laughs> So he went straight to hell, too? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, he he didn't. He He's still alive. And yeah, he didn't actually die. He's going to assume the presidency any day now. That's what the uh, the QAnon people say. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like, I'm inclined to believe them. They make a lot of very good points. I feel like we're tying in a lot of references to this story that if someone didn't know, like, one of them, it just falls apart, you know? It's a fucking Jenga tower of references. Yeah, you're probably right. But that's why this is not considered a good podcast. (laughs) The next five Apollo missions were unmanned and just focused on making sure shit was working before they put more dudes inside the spacecraft. Apollo 7 launched in October of 1968, and when the three-man crew survived an 11-day orbit of Earth with no problems, NASA figured it had all the kinks ironed out. On December 21st, 1968, Apollo 8 was launched carrying astronauts Frank Borman, William Anders, and Jim Lovell. It became the first spacecraft to take men to the moon and bring them back, and they became the first humans to photograph the far side of the moon and to witness an Earth rise. Lovell even found a previously undiscovered lunar mountain that he named Mount Marilyn after his wife, and the thing he liked to do to his wife. (laughs) Nice. The astronauts splashed down safely on December 27th and got to meet the president and rode in a ticker tape parade in New York City. Of course, the big moment in history came in 1969 when Apollo 11, crewed by Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and former Irish revolutionary Michael Collins, blasted off. And on July 20th, Neil Armstrong became the first man to ever set foot on the moon. We did do an episode on Irish revolutionary Michael Collins. It's a different one. So, go check it out. Can we take a break so I can edit a whole lot of shit in this outline? (laughs) Just get the accent straight and you'll be good. (laughs) Okay. America and the world went fucking nuts. These American heroes had done what JFK had told them to do, and they had beaten the Soviets to the moon. That's why I'm proud to be an American. Or at least you know you're free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To go to the moon. 
And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't Apollo 12, which had been slated as a backup to Apollo 11 if its crew failed to make it to the moon, launched in November of 69 and repeated Apollo 11's success. Next up was Apollo 13, which was slated to launch in 1970, and this time the crew would spend more time on the moon and would land in a rockier, more dangerous area. Real shady part of town, where all the hoodlums hang out, and they threaten people, and ruin your country, and you're like, insert that quote for a laugh right here. This is a country for white men. (laughs) Is that what you mean, Chris? No, it's not what I mean. (sighs) Even though I called for it, for a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Apollo 8 hero, Jim Lovell, was slated to be the commander of Apollo 13, and he was going to be joined by rookie astronauts Fred Hayes and Ken Mattingly. But aside from the astronauts and their families, no one really gave two farts about Apollo 13. In early 1970, the headlines were dominated by the rejection of a Supreme Court nominee, the rising death toll in Vietnam, and Paul McCartney saying John Lennon was cucking too hard for Yoko Ono, and he was ruining the Beatles. Hell, even the creation and marketing of Legs Pantyhose, which came in a giant plastic Easter egg, was bigger news than the Apollo 13 launch. Did you ever have those as a kid? Not the pantyhose, but the giant egg, like at Easter, like somebody in your family would stuff it like full of candy and money, and that was like the prize egg you're supposed to find. It sounds vaguely familiar, actually. Yeah. And that's what that was from, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then you open it up and you're like, fuck's my pantyhose. What is this bullshit? <laughs> you expect me to shave these legs? Come on. Just cover this up. <laughs> I want some hose. The first mention of the launch in the New York Times came on the day before the flight, April 10th, in which it was briefly noted in the weather report on page 78. 78 fucking pages of a newspaper. I can't imagine sitting down and just going through that, like, throughout your morning. But that's what people did, man. They went through every fucking page of that newspaper. You go through more pages these days. It's just on your phone. Yeah, but it's porn. It's, you know... (laughs) You gotta find the right scene. Yeah. It's it's a lot quicker. You know, it's it's a very quick operation. Seven days before the launch, one of the members of the backup crew, Charlie Duke, contracted German measles and exposed it to the primary crew. Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes already had the antibodies, but Ken Mattingly did not, and he was bumped from the crew. Jim Lovell was big mad about it, but the flight doctor told him to fuck off. Mattingly was replaced by another rookie astronaut, Jack Swigert, who was known as the only unmarried man accepted into the astronaut corps. Wonder what his boyfriend thought of that. I'm just saying. <laughs> that day and age. I'm just putting that out there. Being single after 20, <laughs> there's something going on. <laughs> How many kids you got? Two? Oh my god, what a... Don't let the boys go over to his house. I don't trust that man. If you don't have at least five, there's something going on. (laughs) Like I said, most people weren't paying attention to the launch, but among those that were, there were some naysayers. And that's because people are idiots, and they look for meaning within coincidences. And so, they took this last-minute crew swap as a bad sign. They were already worried because it was Apollo 13, 
scheduled to launch at 1.13 p.m. or 13.13 in military time. Ooh. And the astronauts would be two days away from Earth on April the 13th, which was, of course, Monday. Oh. Was this your middle school teacher here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's unlucky. She really Bullshit. hates 13. Yeah, this is fucking horse shit. And I'm sure it's going to fly past some black cats. It's just full of broken mirrors. Yeah, they're going to cancel this flight. And I'm going to rub it in that smart kid's face later. He thinks he's so cool because he always wins a trivial pursuit. And he always gets random boners in my class. Yeah. Ooh, look at you, Mr. Cool Guy. I'm going to get that fucker. <laughs> What's wrong with black cats? This is a country for white men. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize black cats couldn't be a part of that. Okay. So saith ye. <laughs> oh, you don't even need me for my for the second half. Just drop that in there a few times. We're done. <laughs> I'll just be talking and that's your response to everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The crew was in great peril. This is a country of white men. Okay, I don't see what that has to do with it. <laughs> well, Apollo 13 lifted off from Cape Canaveral in Florida on schedule on April 11th, and within three hours had escaped the surly bonds of gravity and had slipped out of Earth's orbit. Later that day, disaster struck when the crew called down to the command center in Houston and asked for the latest news. After providing the men with a few updates on baseball scores and trucker strikes, Joe Kerwin reminded the men that their taxes were due. Jack Swigert then realized he'd forgotten to file his, and he'd be floating around the moon when the taxes came due on April 15th. Son of a bitch. It's the worst thing that's going to happen on this flight. Guarantee it. Book it. I mean, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty fucking bad. You don't fuck with the IRS. They'll hire 87,000 gun-toting agents to come after you. My palms are sweaty already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he was given a 60-day extension for being out of the country. End of story. Happily ever after. <laughs> no, other than that, things went pretty smoothly on the first day of flight inside the spacecraft, which was divided into three sections. The command module, known as Odyssey, was where the crew would spend most of their time. In front of the command module, connected by a short tunnel, was the Lunar Excursion Module, or LIM, which Lovell had named Aquarius. Many people thought he had named it after the song Dawn of Aquarius from the hit musical Hair, but Lovell was a straight-laced man of science who named it after the constellation resembling someone carrying a bucket of water. Jack Swigert's like, oh yeah, I love that musical. He's like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. The writing was on the wall. The <laughs> writing was on the wall. How many large eggs do you have in your house? <laughs> and where are the accompanying hose? <laughs> I swear, I just got these. Lift up your pant leg. <laughs> <laughs> he actually had his uh, thigh highs on that day. <laughs> so he just pulled down his pants completely. Just. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I, I knew it. I knew you was one. Mm. He grows visibly excited. <laughs> Nipples start poking through his skin-tight latex spacesuit. 
Which nobody had mentioned at this point of the story that he's wearing that. It's yeah. wild. And it's not regulation at all. He just decided to bring it from home. And a lot of self-hate. A lot of <laughs> <Yeah>. self-hate. <laughs> Jim Lovell did not Lovell himself. Because love's in his name. <clears throat> Moving on. <clears throat> Behind the command capsule, and completely inaccessible to the astronauts, was a service module which held the oxygen and fuel needed to keep the crew from dying horrible, suffocating deaths. The plan for the mission was for the men to take a three-day journey to the moon, where Jack Swigert would take control of the command module, and Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes would pilot the limb down to the surface. They'd hang out in the unexplored Fra Moro region and collect some rocks before flying back to the command module. Then, just a quick flight back to Earth, they ditch everything but the command module and splash down, on April 21st. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. The trip was viewed as so routine and boring that when the crew broadcasted live from the ship on the night of Monday, April 13th, every single television network opted not to show it. Jim Lovell's wife Marilyn had to drive to NASA HQ in Houston just to watch the broadcast from a VIP section inside Mission Control. That's in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know things. I know things. <laughs> As Lovell and his crew gave a tour of the Apollo 11 spacecraft and attempted to educate people on the things they found interesting, they had no idea that no one gave a shit and they were pointlessly speaking into the void of space. 100 Proof History Hmm, fuck you. Little did the uninterested public or the hard-working crew know that within seconds of the end of their broadcast, a routine operation would cause disaster to strike and would put the lives of the crew of Apollo 13 in imminent danger. It was the number 13. It fucking was. It got him. It got him. Miss Beaver was right. What a bitch, though. Yeah. <laughs> Ruined my childhood. I would have made something of myself if it wasn't for that one trivia game disillusioned me. Uncle Mrs. Beaver. <laughs> Ruined my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> we could rock a pair of legs pantyhose, let me tell you. Would the crew survive or would their command module become their crypt eternally floating through space as a reminder of man's hubris and the uncaring nature of the universe? We'll answer that question and many more after this break. This one right now? Yeah, the one we're about to take. All right. Okay. All right, we are back from break. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I did. Real talk for a second. I want to give a shout out to anybody listening in Florida or anybody who has relatives in Florida. Probably not listening in Florida right now. You're probably still dealing with the cleanup and recovery. So I uh, want to make sure everybody's doing good. You know, just want to give a shout out to those guys. Greg does not. And if you are currently dead and listening to this podcast, uh, deepest condolences and also sincerest. Of thoughts and prayers. Oh, we're so thoughtful. We're so giving, you know? But but you got to do the funny thing where you're 
thought is spelled T H O T. Yeah. Thoughts and players, baby. Thoughts and players. It's the name of my dating podcast. It is not going well. <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> you just, you just got to wait until you hit that right audience, you know? Once it catches on, it catches. Like wildfire. Yeah, once the incels find out that I'm one of them, oh, baby, I'm taking off. <laughs> just starts off with, welcome to Thoughts and Players, dating podcast, but... uh Everybody knows dating is dead, and girls just date the chads and the, their muscles, and they treat them like shit, but nice guys like me can't get any fucking action. It's bullshit. I'm going to kill everybody at my school, even though I'm 48 years old. The sluts. <laughs> I'm such a nice guy, and then the next sentence, I'll call them sluts and whores. <laughs> it's called negging. It's a real strategy that I have developed it's not working either. It is not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually working for me at all. But someday I'll get a date and then my wife will be like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm coming back to you because obviously someone wants you. Uh, you're obviously desirable. So. Gets them every time. It does. And the conversations I've had with her in my head in the shower, she always comes back every time. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy, happy for y'all in your. In my, in my imagination. Yes. And then I make her leave in my imagination and a well-oiled Latino man named Rodrigo enters and, well, <laughs> we finish the shower a different way. <laughs> oh, he enters all right. <laughs> all right. I'm wasting time. I'm stalling. I apologize. I just, I'm just so excited and so nervous to do this thing. I, I don't know how to get it going. Greg. Can you help me with this uh, little thing we, we're supposed to do every, every, every time we come back called the second half seltzer? Oh, I can help with that. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. All right. Three, two, one. Oh, that was very synchronized, I feel. I think we got it that time. Mmm. Sultry. Mm. Yep. So sick of these things. A tradition unlike any other. One that no one else cares about or is called forever. No. Not at all. <laughs> oh, they're doing that stupid part. God damn it. Fast forward. Well, we're still talking about it. You didn't get to skip all of it, but uh, I guess we'll mercifully drop the subject and move on to the second half of the story. And for that, we ask Gregory Mainhost to please take us home. Hold my hand, and let's go. On April 13, 1970, the crew of Apollo 13 had been flying for about 56 hours and were 210,000 miles away from Earth. About six minutes had passed since they had wasted everyone's time with the broadcast from outer space. Back in Houston... Mission Control noted that one of the sensors in the oxygen tanks had a bad reading, so they asked the crew to perform what they called a cryo-stir. This was a routine exercise done at least once a day. The service module, which sat behind the command module, contained four giant tanks, which contained a mixture of oxygen and hydrogen. These gases were kept in tanks that NASA claimed were so well insulated that if they were filled with ice and placed in a 70-degree Fahrenheit room, it would take about eight years for the ice to melt. The gases were actually kept hypercold, 
and that's a scientific term, not mine, and we're more like giant Slurpees made of oxygen and hydrogen. Yeah, that's actually bought one of these coolers that they're talking about. Came with a sticker that I put on the back of my pickup truck. Um, they're a little overrated, a little overpriced. I feel like you can get something better, you know. But uh, the same, same is it's about brand recognition. I think. You know, just getting those. Is this a joke about Yeti coolers? Yes, it's a Yeti joke. Wow. <laughs> when did we stoop so low? <laughs> The Slurpees could be forced into channels of electrodes that heated them up. This provided heat, water, oxygen, and electricity to the crew of Apollo 13, which was pretty important since space provides exactly zero of those things. The cryostir was like that thing inside the Slurpee machine that keeps the sweet, sweet Slurpee goodness spinning and frozen so it doesn't become a disappointing liquid syrup and you have to settle for another flavor. Or you know, in this case... So you don't suffocate inside a tin can 200,000 miles away from home. Same thing. Fun fact, the Slurpee machine was actually invented by Werner von Braun. That is not a fun fact. People don't know that. You know, after he finished working for NASA... Oh, let me back that up. After he finished being a Nazi, then he worked for, worked for NASA, then he invented the Slurpee machine. But he was he was kind of a stickler for the rules. Like, if he came into one of the stores and he saw the red light was on and, like, the... Pineapple Fanta flavor wasn't available. Boy, he lost his shit. Like, he got really upset. Like, made goes the clerk- up to the cashier. Like, what the fuck, dude? He's yeah. like, I, I, I can't make it go faster. He's like, hmm. You ever heard of the V two rocket? Hmm. He just looked at him. And said, Get on the train. And that guy was never seen again. It's a Holocaust joke, Greg. Uh, yes. Yes, I realized <laughs> that. Following instructions from Mission Control. Jack Swigert threw the switch to stir all four of the cryogenic tanks. Sixteen seconds later, the crew heard a loud bang and felt the entire ship shudder. Jim Lovell's first thought was to berate Fred Hayes, who had made a habit over the first couple of days in space of pranking everybody by opening a valve that regulated pressure in the ship and made a loud hiss and thump. But Hayes was just as surprised by Lovell by the shudder. This fucking YouTube prankster. (laughs) <laughs> you thought you were about to die and be sucked into space, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Cucked yourself again, Lovell. <laughs> Made me pee in my diaper, goddammit, Fred. <laughs> Alarms began to sound inside the command module. There seemed to be an inexplicable loss of power in one of the power distribution panels that provided electricity to the command module. If one of them was dead, it meant that half the systems in the spacecraft could give out at any moment. It was then that Jim Lovell got on the radio and uttered his now iconic phrase, Houston, we've had a problem. And Chris, the listeners asking themselves, is it not Houston, we have a problem? That's what Tom Hanks says, but it's actually this. It's actually a recorded audio of him saying that. Uh Aha. We've had a problem. Makes sense. Grammatically correct. Yeah, so he said, Houston, we've had a problem. In the less iconic second half of that statement, we've had a main B bus undervolt. Houston responded, okay, and began to look at all of their readings and were shocked to find that tank number two, which held half of the ship's oxygen, was now reading at precisely 0%. The levels in oxygen tank number one were slowly dropping. One of the antennas was no longer transmitting, and the ship had switched itself to its four smaller antennas. The odds of a failing power bus, two failing cells, and a broken antenna were so... 
astronomical (laughs) that Mission Control thought it had to be an error on Mission Control computers. But on the ship, the astronauts were getting the exact same reading. So everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and it's so great when you're reading the book. Basically, anytime these guys came back with some bad news from the the spacecraft, Mission Control's like, okay, cool, Um, we'll look into that, you know? Basically sending the K text. They they have to project calmness, dude. They they do. I understand it, but it's still kind of funny. You'd be like, oh my God, everything's on fire. This guy's fucking dead. That guy's fucking my wife. I'm going to crash this thing into the goddamn sun. And like, All right, copy that. Uh, we'll look into how we can get you to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> well, equally concerning for Jim Lovell was the fact that his ship no longer seemed to be on course and wasn't rotating as it was supposed to. See, the Apollo ships were designed to rotate at a very slow 1 RPM to keep the temperatures even. Without this rotation, half the ship would be blazing hot from catching direct sunlight, and the other half would be somewhere around 240 degrees below zero. The temperature inside the cabin was regulated at 72 degrees, but extreme temperatures would damage the electronics to the point that maneuverability and life support systems would be completely lost. As Lovell grabbed the controls to write the ship manually, he looked out the window and saw his hydrogen fuel slowly leaking into space. He then realized that there was no way he was going to land on the moon, and one slowly draining tank of oxygen and two tanks of hydrogen weren't enough to make it home. Mission Control did their own math and realized that if the crew didn't do something, they weren't going to survive another five hours. But Aquarius, the lunar excursion module, had been designed to provide enough oxygen and power to fly down to the moon, stay for a day and a half, and then fly back up to the command module. Well, that amount of oxygen and power was only enough to last for 45 hours, and only had been designed to support two men, not three. But doing quick sciencey space math like Chris just did, Jim Lovell deduced that 45 hours was more than the five hours that the command module had left, and the crew decided that uh, they'd have to move on the Aquarius and use it as a space lifeboat. That's smart by Lovell, you know. He looked at the number 45, then he looked at the number 5, and then he did a little scale tip thing, and he's like, oh shit, 45's way heavier than 5, okay. Yeah. And uh, he also knew that even though it was only designed to support two men, not three, that if push came to shove, he could kick Jack Swigert out into space because that guy wasn't married and... He kept rubbing his nylon legs up against Lovell in the spacecraft, and Lovell's like, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, like, I'm intrigued. I've, I gotta admit, I've had some thoughts on this flight, but, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to cross that threshold. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm ready to cross that threshold in a Florida motel, carrying Swigert across the threshold as he <laughs> looks so beautiful in that white dress. Just, I mean, he's stunningly gorgeous. But has he been chased? <laughs> I will only marry a chaste man. Otherwise, the threshold thing is just, it's a trope, you know. Yeah, There's that's no true. point to it. Yeah. He's just doing it for the exercise. Yeah, I get that. Jim, are you a virgin? And then push does come to shove, which comes to kick him out of the... Yeah, the out of the spacecraft. <laughs> I just wanted to do the push-shove kick, dude. <laughs> Physical actions, you know what I'm saying? Common denominator, I'm sorry, I've got fucking nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I just wonder if Lovell was so closeted, like Jeffrey Dahmer, that once he got Jack into that hotel room, he's like, I can't let you leave. You'll tell people my secret. 
And he drills out of his brain, pours acid in there, and this once former proud astronaut becomes food for Jim Lovell, American hero. And if you don't know what we're talking about, if what he just said makes zero sense, <laughs> please go listen to our Jeffrey Dahmer episode available on the Patreon. Yeah, maybe you're watching the show on Netflix and you're like, this needs more jokes about dead things. <laughs> that might sound crazy <laughs> to somebody that has no idea what the story is there. Yeah. <laughs> no context. Just drilling out a hole in his brain and putting acid in it. <laughs> An astronaut. <laughs> We're just looking around like, anybody else get that? What the fuck? <laughs> What's this guy talking about? Why am I hard right now? <laughs> Back when Apollo 1 had gone up in flames, as we spoke about in the first half, NASA had been pretty secretive with the press, which had significantly hurt their public image. As a result, they became super transparent. The pendulum swung way far back the other way. And when things went to hell in a handbasket on Apollo 13, the press knew it instantly. The networks all interrupted their broadcasts to inform the public what had happened. In Houston, Marilyn Lovell turned her TV on just in time to see ABC's science correspondent tell her that her husband had no greater than a 10% chance to make it home alive. Soon, friends, family, and well-wishers, upwards of 60 people, flooded the Lovell house to be with Marilyn as they followed the Apollo 13 news reports. It would have been real awkward, or maybe it will be real awkward, if Jim Lovell died, and like all these people are in the house. <sighs> oh no, what do we do now? I'm just going to set down this chafing dish full of mints, and I'm just going to leave. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry I clogged up your toilet. Oh shit, oh, my bad. Uh, it would be just like what happens after a funeral. Yeah, but you know, you're just basically with less food. And you're all watching him die live on TV, or at least hearing about it at the same time. And start divvying up his things. <laughs> I'd instantly start hitting on Marilyn. Hey, guess who doesn't go to the moon and die like a selfish dickhead? Listen, mm. I don't think you should be alone right now. <laughs> yeah. That's actually one of my tips on thoughts and players. Like, just go to funerals and immediately start hanging on the widow. Any age. Doesn't matter. Just hope you aren't too late at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like you someone else. One of your listeners hasn't beat you there. Yeah. One of those thoughts. Trying to scissor that widow. <laughs> Back on Apollo, Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes floated into the Lunar Excursion Module, LEM, and went to work trying to get it powered up and oxygenated while Jack Swigert stayed behind and went through the many, many steps required to power down the command module that would otherwise drain power from the LEM until both were useless. The rate of which the oxygen in Tank 1 was leaking began to steadily increase. Mission Control figured they still had 40 minutes in the tank, then after a brief pause, they informed Swigert he was down to 18 minutes. A minute later, they estimated he was down to just 4 minutes of oxygen left. Right before the tank went dry, Swigert finished his power down and slid into Aquarius with his two crewmates. Presumably did one of those... You guys... You guys barely made it. I was holding my breath there right at the end. Woo! Like Jack, and they're lit still... Up, lit up a cigarette and they're like, no! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Jack, you're such a fucking dick. <laughs> Take off those nylons. Put on your space bottoms. <laughs> he still has the space suit top and helmet <laughs> on. Just the legs. <laughs> Visor up, smoking, and then just fucking leggings and high heels down there. Little thigh highs. Some black piano polish high heels. <laughs> he's a little fucking he's a little skanky little bastard. He looks at Jim. He's like, you know, I got a ton of these eggs. These things came in back home. You want them for Easter for your kids? You can put like big prizes in them or something. I'm not using them. I just. <laughs> he smuggled pantyhose in the big plastic <laughs> eggs on board. Yeah. <laughs> and then they made it to the, <laughs> the LEM. <laughs> yeah. That's why he almost ran out of oxygen. He actually like went back to grab them. <laughs> like, oh shit. <gasps> just deep breath. Floated back there real quick, fucking grabbed him. <sighs> Guys, <laughs> Jack, did you, did you get us any food? Oh, fuck, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, mm. <laughs> it's only a few days, guys. We got this. Jesus, Fred, I told you this guy was weird. I went over to his apartment. You know, some people who like liquor bottles around the top of their cabinets, it was nothing but empty plastic eggs. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> Sorry. I got the mental image again of him. Astronaut top, silky legs, and the, the high heels smoking a cigarette. Mm -hmm. The men working in mission control knew that the LEM was going to be low on consumables vital to the survival of the crew. But at that moment, their biggest concern was that the leak from Tank 1 had pushed Apollo 13 off course. See, spaceflight isn't like driving a car or flying a plane. You basically determine your course, and you have a little extra wiggle room to make minor course corrections, but if you fuck something up in the 60th hour of a 150-hour flight, it might mean you miss landing back on Earth by a scant 40,000 miles. That's pretty far. Unless it's an asteroid. Then they freak out when those things are like within like 10 million miles. We didn't even see that one coming. That could have been the one that killed us all. Ten million miles, guys. Whew. Dodged a bullet there. Everybody's like, oh, NASA's so lame. We have actual problems here on Earth. Actual, real, fucking problems. Like, did you hear that Taylor Swift was going to do the halftime show at the Super Bowl, but then she backed out and they made Rihanna do it? Oh, my God. Real issues to deal with here. They made her do it? Oh, they forced her to. Gunpoint. Roger Goodell kidnapped her. It's a whole thing. You should really be on Twitter. Oh, okay. Don't get on Twitter. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> good reason I'm not there. Yeah. Well, to correct Apollo 13's course, the scientists at NASA went to work doing their smart people thing and figured that a controlled boost of 40% for about 36 seconds would increase the ship's speed by 16 feet per second give it enough of a boost to allow it to slingshot around the dark side of the moon. Once they'd made it back around the moon, they'd use the moon's gravity and another controlled burst to send Apollo back on a collision course with good old Mother Earth. To confirm their theories, they brought Ken Mattingly in and had him and a few backup pilots run through it in a simulator. Now what happens, Ken, if one of the crew members is trying to I don't know, fight back some demons and deny his thoughts about another crew member who is looking just stunning 
in his evening gown. What what, what happens whoa, whoa, then? Whoa, 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 please. This is a simulator, not a stimulator. <laughs> <laughs> and they all just like laugh and high five. And it's like, okay, that'll never be a problem. <laughs> Little did they know, 200,000 miles away. Uh-huh. But he was just so classy and he said it with a little fucking martini glass in his hand. <laughs> so they're like, oh, you're right. That, that'll yeah. never come up. <laughs> they were all drunk. They thought that was hilarious. Like Don Draper running the simulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, looking all fucking nice and handsome, sexy and mm-hmm. you know, tall and just little muscle, but not too much muscle, just all the right places, you know, yeah. just... Oh, man. I feel like he, he's damaged. <laughs> Don Draper, am I right? <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's damaged. Oh. Maybe I could fix him. I don't know. We could be friends. And uh, I don't know. We'll just see where it goes. It's worth a shot. Yeah. Have you seen him? It's worth a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first boost went off without a hitch about five hours after oxygen tank number two had gone number two in the proverbial bed. As the crew reached the dark side of the moon, they became, and remain, the world record holders for the humans who have traveled the furthest from the surface of the Earth, reaching a distance of 228,000 miles away from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Also hold the record for number of times Wizard of Oz will watched on a single flight because of dark side of the moon. They, like, synced it up when they crossed Pink Floyd. 1970s reference. Oh, I think the... The Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz thing happened in the 90s, so at least only 30-year-old reference. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I think I'm killing it. Killing it. Nailed it, dude. Then, about 18 hours after they had boosted the first time, they fired the engines on the LEM once again and began the journey home. Typically, they would have confirmed their trajectory by reading the stars, but the debris field around the rocket made that impossible, so they used the only star available. The sun. Little known fact. I thought you were going to say John Hamm again. <laughs> John Hamm is never available. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that dude ends a relationship and gets snatched up in an instant. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, you got my hopes up, though. I had to Google it real quick. <laughs> I made my wife upset for real when I was like, Hey, Shakira's getting a divorce. You better watch out. She's like, oh, you like Shakira, huh? I was just making a joke. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's the type of woman you like, huh? <laughs> Juicy ass? She's famous? No, honey, I hate them. Yeah, I hate her. <laughs> Shakira. <laughs> she moves her hip. It's so unnatural. I, I don't like that. <laughs> when she's always gyrating about, ugh, so unsexy. I never picture her doing that on my penis. Ever. Besides, honey, you know my penis is way too small for those movements. <laughs> She's like, okay, true. Yeah, okay, I forgive you. You know I can't thrust more than six times a minute or it just breaks in half because of that medical condition. I'm going to go out with Charles now. I mean, uh, my girlfriend, Charlize. <laughs> Theron, yep, she's, yep. Hmm, the perfect cover. He'll never suspect a thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm furiously masturbating the idea of her having sex with Charlie Theron. <laughs> or some guy named Charlie. Whatever. As long as I'm not involved. 
Well, again, they were using the the sun to get home, to guide themselves. And they did that by looking at a quadrant of the sun, which was pretty fucking far away, through their scopes. And with that, they were able to confirm that they were on the right path. And all they had to do at that point was drift home. Cheers went up in mission control, but there were still problems to be solved. Marital problems. And to hear that, please check out Thoughts and Players on your favorite podcast app. (laughs) Mission Control did more math and figured that the LEM would actually provide enough oxygen to the three men for the remaining journey. The problem was the LEM did not have enough equipment to scrub the air of CO2, which meant if NASA didn't figure something out, the men would suffocate on their own gases. The nerds at NASA ingeniously devised a system to use the scrubbers from the disabled command module, coupled with some cardboard, plastic bags, tubing, and tape to create portable, miniature air scrubbers. They relayed instructions to the crew, and it worked like a fucking charm. Bracelet. (laughs) Let others know that I'm not completely straight. (laughs) That was in doubt. Yes, I wear a charm bracelet. Matter of fact, I wear one on each wrist. Why can't dudes wear charm bracelets? I've been to places. We do. (laughs) A little Disney World one. (laughs) Six Flags over Texas. Yeah. You know, Empire State Building. I'm actually jealous of that. That that is kind of bullshit. Like, girls get to wear all this. Look, this one's from this place. This one's from... And, like, a dude does it, and everybody thinks he's weird. Makes him uncomfortable, because he won't button his pants. From... Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I say to all the, the nay gay sayers is they sell them in fucking Riyadh, dude. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they do not condone homosexuality, so. <laughs> Checkmate. Well, when you go to Saudi Arabia, you better check your mate at the door. You know what I'm <laughs> I don't you know. I don't good, good day, mate. Like your uh, bud. You can't bring an Australian there. Don't go there with your man. From Australia. You'll get beheaded. Oh. Not the good kind of beheading, am I right? (laughs) Oh, I'd beheading, dude. (laughs) Water was quickly becoming another issue. Every electrical system in the LEM was water-cooled, which meant there wasn't enough water for the men to drink. As a result, NASA decided to shut down basically every electric component of the LEM dropping its electricity usage to just 12 amps. The iPhone you're listening on is using 400 amps right now. I don't know if that's right. I just made that number up, but 12 amps is not very much electricity. Even with this sacrifice, the men still could only have 6 ounces of water a day. As a result, Fred Hayes soon developed a nasty urinary tract infection, and each man began to drastically shed weight. The ship continued towards Earth over the following couple of days as the men sat in the cold temperatures, dehydrated and hungry, surrounded by floating bags of their own pee and poo. Because the LEM was venting steam, it slowly began to drift off target once more and risked either burning up on re-entry or skipping off the atmosphere and drifting forever. Two course corrections were made by Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes, using the line that divided day and night on Earth as a target. Um, impossible, because Earth is flat, and obviously, there's no line, because that's, you know, the sun is passing over it in different spots. What other 
interesting opinions do you hold? This is a country for white men. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well. Interesting. I'd be worried about getting canceled, but there are way worse things being said on podcasts right now. They're way more famous than ours. We probably just got like 10 million more listeners. <laughs> Saw one podcaster complaining that Ariel the Mermaid in the new uh, Little Mermaid movie was black. And he was like saying how scientifically unrealistic that is because she lives at the bottom of the sea and she would not get enough light to change the melanin of her skin. We're we're talking about a half woman, half fish, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's where you draw the line, though. (laughs) This is bullshit. Science does not support this. It's like, okay, all right. Holy shit. You just say anything and people will be like, you know what? I agree with that. Fuck yeah. This is bullshit what you're doing in my country and my America and my little mermaids. God damn it. Oh, boy. Maybe it's a bad thing for Jim Lovell and all of them that they came back to Earth. It hasn't gotten better since 1970. I can't say that we've improved as a species. Mm, I would argue that a thought like what you just espoused mm-hmm. by that podcaster was more prevalent. In his time, his hard time. So maybe it's gotten better in that regard, at least. We hope. I still hate to hear it. I know you don't, though. On Friday, April 17th, Apollo 13 was on its final approach. The men climbed back up into the dead, freezing command module and powered it back up in just two hours, which was something that had never been even attempted before. Well, they had to back up another command module next to it and get the power cables, the jumper cables out, and connect it to its battery. Like, hey, man, just, just ease it on in, ease it on in. I got these cables aren't that long, you know. Just gonna reach. All right, now give it a little gas. Give. I know, just a little bit. Of, come on, just give me a little bit of time here. Just a little bit of time, and I, you know, I know you got places to be, but uh, just trying to get home, see my my wife, my family, and uh, this astronaut fella I know who wears nylons. Nice. There was now enough oxygen inside the capsule to make it home, so they jettisoned the support module completely. Bye-bye, support module. Fuck you. (laughs) It was then that Jim Lovell could see the immense damage done when an electrical short had caused Tank 2 to explode, damaging Tank 1 and the main antenna. The command module was then separated from Aquarius, which had served the men well and kept them alive. The LEM fell into the atmosphere where most of it burned up, and the rest fell harmlessly into the ocean near New Zealand. The command module then re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. Because of ionization, Mission Control expected to lose radio contact with the crew of Apollo 13 for about four minutes. After six minutes, they still hadn't heard from the crew. And to let you experience how terrifying and awkward that is, we will also be silent for the next six minutes. This is a country for white men. <laughs> okay, well, I can't stand by and let that be said. So, we had to end that moment of, of silence, of awkward silence, short. God damn it. Teach me to quote that famous president, Andrew Johnson, daily. Yeah, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. I really should get rid of his book on daily affirmations. Stop reading them to you on this podcast. 
Maybe you sh- just shouldn't say it in your regular ass voice. <laughs> Maybe you should give him a stupid accent. <laughs> well, soon after the six minutes, the voice of Jim Lovell let Houston and the entire world know that all three men were alive and safe. They were picked up by the USS Iwo Jima and brought to Hawaii, where Jim and Marilyn were reunited. And it felt so good. In the end, the men of Apollo 13 were saved due to the genius and ingenuity of both the crew and the men working in mission control. What had started as a boring mission to collect rocks turned into a historic tale of perseverance and survival. It just goes to show that you can make anything interesting if you just add the very real threat of death. And that is why our next episode will feature Chris frantically racing to complete the show before his garage fills with the exhaust of a running car. Mm. End of story. Woo! We did it. Uh, I don't have to worry about that running car because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be murdered for the things Wolf Dick kept interjecting that I said as a quote and asked him not to uh, reuse. But whatever. Also, I'd like to apologize to the family of Jack Swigert because we don't know his sexual proclivities. He was a hero. You know, he went on Apollo 13. Sure, he never got married and died childless, but we can't just assume things about his sex life based on that. So, if you're listening, Jack Swigert's family, we apologize and we salute him. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, well, there's a little bit more in this story. Maybe four little things you need to know. Four little things that we call the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Roger Chafee, who died in the Apollo 1 fire, also played a big role in another piece of American history. In 1962, the world was seemingly on the brink of nuclear war when it was discovered that the Soviets had placed nuclear missiles that were capable of striking the U.S., on the nearby island nation of Cuba. Roger Chaffee had been one of the pilots to fly over Cuba and document the position and number of these missiles for President John F. Kennedy. Fast Fact Number 2 Apollo 12 is largely forgotten, but some interesting stuff happened during the flight. First, it was struck not once, but twice by lightning during liftoff, causing some minor electronic issues. Also, it was the first space flight to bring along a color video camera, but one of the astronauts pointed the lens directly at the sun, allowing solar radiation to fry all the film inside the camera. Fast fact number three. The first thing the crew of Apollo 13 thought when they heard the loud bang was that the lunar excursion module had been hit by a meteor. If that were the case, they only had seconds to act before the LEM depressurized and everything inside Apollo 13 was sucked out into the freezing void of space. They hurried to try and close the hatch to the LEM, but struggled for so long that Lovell eventually just said fuck it and decided if they were going to be sucked into space, it probably would have happened by then. Fast Fact Number 4 One of the well-wishers that watched the news at Marilyn Lovell's house was Jim's mother Blanche. To keep her from worrying, Marilyn didn't tell Blanche how much danger Jim was in and asked Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong to sit with her and keep her occupied until the situation was resolved. 
She appreciated the company, but remarked that Aldrin and Armstrong must have just been ordinary astronauts. Otherwise, they would have been in space, and her son would have been at home watching TV like a loser. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Put a little knowledge in those brains. If you liked what you heard, check us out at 100proofhistory.com. And uh, there you'll find a link to our Patreon. We're just $3 a month. Get you access to new episodes two days early, old episodes, bunch of bonus content, like a billion things you're never going to find anywhere else. you also find us on social media at 100proofhistory. We like to post memes, images, things related to the story, all sorts of good, good times. And uh, we thank you guys for listening. For myself... Chris, your sexy co-host, Wolf Dick, our esteemed producer, Dan Dan, the intro man, we say thank you. Gregory, main host, best host, ultimate host. There could never be another host. What else? There could be another host. Now taking applications for other host, number one. <laughs> number two, I was recently out of town and, you know, somebody asked me a question that it's been eating away at my brain. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would share it here, um, get some opinions. I know how I feel about it, but very subject to change. You know, I just, I need more information. Mm-hmm. And that question is, do you believe in life after love? <laughs> do you, Chris? Because. I don't know, man. I can. I can feel something inside me say that, you know, I really don't think I'm strong enough, <laughs> but. I don't know. Oh, it's a question for the ages. Think on it, listener. Think on it. All right. Yeah, think on it. Let us know in the comments. We love you. We got a little something new for the Patreon coming. Reward all of our supplicant listeners. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Love you. Bye. Bye. I feel like my chair is making noise every time I fucking move. You know, things need to be tightened. No. A little lift, you know what I mean? Yeah. A little chair lift. Get back in that gym. A little BBL for the chair. <laughs> Brazilian butt lift. There we go. Don't want it to keep happening. <clears throat> My voice is slightly shot, by the way. I think it's, I think it'll be all right for this, but it's a little shot. Been screaming at your wife all day? <clears throat> no. Drinking all day, every day in Austin for like five days. <laughs> <laughs>